We're going to ensure openness, accountability, and transparency in our markets so that people can trust the value of the financial product they're buying. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Laura Conaway. Today is Thursday, December 18th. It's about 4.25 p.m. here in New York City. And today we're going to be talking about whether people out there are indeed seeing falling wages. Uh, We've gotten a lot of letters from our listeners about this, uh, and we want to see how how our listeners compare to the national averages. But first, I'd like to do a Planet Money indicator. Go for it. All right. Today's Planet Money indicator is $1 Which is? $1 trillion is how much the Wall Street Journal is reporting President-elect Obama's team is hoping to keep the stimulus package below. Uh, The President-elect's transition team put together a stimulus package proposal that is somewhere around $700, $775 billion. Uh, It's going to be sent to Capitol Hill with hopes that Congress will approve it by Inauguration Day. But of course, Congress is expected to add their own goodies. In fact, a coalition of people who want goodies, uh, unions and the Sierra Club and others, um, are are looking to to put as much as they can into this. I got to say, Laura, you know, I'm not taking a position right now on whether a stimulus is a good idea or not. There's certainly plenty of really smart economists who say, yes, we desperately need some sort of stimulus. But what I will say is when you give politicians a blank check to write blank checks, it's just I mean, I I picture a bunch of drug addicts sitting around and then you say to the drug addicts, you know, the way to solve this problem might be to do some drugs. And they're like, yeah, I like that idea. Let's let's do that idea. I like that idea the most. You know, according to classic Keynesian policy or other macroeconomic theories, you know, there, there are those who argue strongly a stimulus is exactly what's called for now. But that doesn't mean spend any money at, at any time with no limit whatsoever. And I got to tell you, I am going to be shocked if that doesn't start happening. I'm, I'm already I'm already feeling nervous um, that we are telling Congress sp- you know, we as the public, apparently, they feel we are telling them spend as much as you want to spend on whatever project you want. Go for it. Keep Terrifying. Your, keep your eye on that one trillion dollars. Let's talk about wages for a second. Earlier this week, Ian Shepardson, he's an economist and a great one. He talked to us about deflation and he was explaining to me that deflation has two parts. Right. For, for there to be true deflation, you have to have falling prices the opposite of inflation. Prices for a broad basket of goods has to fall, you know, month after month, quarter after quarter. But you also need falling wages. People have to make less money. In fact, the wages have to fall faster than the prices are falling. To me, this makes sense because if, you know, if you're making less money, but prices are falling faster than your wages are falling, you're still able to buy more stuff every month. It's when your wages are, f- when prices are falling and wages are falling even faster that things are getting cheaper, but you're feeling poorer because you can only afford so much stuff and less stuff each month. That's true deflation. It's sort of like that joke where people say, have you seen that gas is cheap now? And the person says, great, but I'm out of a job. I didn't know that was a joke. Okay. <laughs> I think that's just how people That's feel. actually real. Okay. I'm yeah, sorry. I've been hearing that as a one-liner. All right. Okay. So I opened an item on the blog and I asked whether you guys out there are in fact being asked to take 
pay cuts. And dozens of you wrote in to say that, yeah, you're bringing home less money. And it's for all sorts of reasons. Some of you work in restaurants and your tips are falling off. It's all kinds of stuff like that. Some of you said you've actually had your hourly wages cut, where the company comes in and says, you were making $18 an hour, you're now going to make $16 an hour. I talked to a guy named Alex Donald. He's a book editor in the Northeast. He works a 40-hour week, but he talks about himself as not being a full-time person because he's temporary. But he is working a 40-hour week, and he's still going to be working a 40-hour week, except that he now knows he'll be doing that for less money. This was how it was presented to us, anyway. Is rather than having yet another round of layoffs starting next year, we are going to have a 5% pay cut for all employees who make $50,000 or more a year. Do you yourself think this is a better outcome than layoffs? For my friends here who are full-time, I think I think it's a good faith attempt by some management people to try to prevent layoffs. So in that sense, yeah, I, I guess it's it's a good alternative. My pay hasn't increased in five years. So for it to be cut now is is pretty frustrating. Now, of course, Alex Donald is one person. This is what we call anecdotal evidence. He represents one company. But we've gotten a lot of these emails, and we've been noticing in the press a variety of companies announcing that they're cutting wages. Federal Express just announced it would cut wages by 5%. I'm seeing reports of plants, one out in California that just cut wages across the board by 10%. I heard from a semiconductor engineer in the middle of the country who said that his wages were, were being cut. Local governments are dialing back salaries. And when I asked Ian Shepardson about it, he cautioned us against making too much of any given story, any given news report. He says, you know, Take our blog, 30 people responding out of 130 million workers. Just really not a great statistical sample. The other thing Shepardson told us is he's on the road today. So we actually wanted to ask him a bunch of questions. He wasn't available, but we called um, someone who's excellent. Howard Rosen is a visiting fellow at the Peterson Institute. And he's a guy who really digs in to wages data, employment data. That's that's his specialty. In fact, Laura, I believe when you called him, he said that as you called him, he was looking at the wages data at that second. Right, because I wanted to see if, in fact, what we've been hearing anecdotally is revealing itself in the data. And what we're seeing, I mean, clearly the worker is experiencing a decline in their take-home wages. What we don't know is if this decline is due to an actual reduction in their hourly wage, or is it that they're working less? So you're saying, on average, the American worker, their paycheck is smaller. That's correct. But you don't know if that's because they're making the same hourly wage but working less, or they're making a lower hourly wage and working the same amount. Correct. Exactly. And the reason why that's important, and it's not just a technical thing, is if it's a decline in hours, I mean, that's the, the first, if you will, that's the first trigger that employers can pull. It's harder for them to tell their employees that they're going to reduce their hourly rate, but they can do a kind of a pseudo layoff and say, we're going to close on Friday, or you're, you know, from 40 hours, you're only going to work 30 hours. And that, that not only, um, you know, is effective, affecting the disinflation that you've been talking about, but it also reflects the slowdown in the economy, because if these companies are not just cutting back their wages, but also cutting back their hours, therefore cutting down their production, that's a kind of a downward spiral in terms of the economy as a whole. Wait, so 
as if I like, you know, let's say my employer is not going to do anything, but I'm just worried about the U.S. economy overall. Do I? And I know something bad has to happen. Right. There's there's just laying off, you know, 10 percent of the workforce. There's keeping the same workforce and cutting their salary by 10 percent. Right. And there's keeping the same workforce, keeping the same salary, but cutting the hours worked by 10%. Which one do I want companies to do? See, that's exactly what I'm saying. The question is, is this a cost-cutting measure, or is this actually a reduction in activity, production and activity? And what it seems in, I mean, what we would like to have, I guess, would be the cut down, the cut in in, uh, expenses. You know, kind of a you know, just kind of retooling a little bit so that they save some money during this downturn, and then they can just ratchet up again when the economy improves. But what it looks like we're seeing is not just cut, cut cost cutting measures, but we're actually seeing uh, a reduction in production and output in economic activity. And you know, this is this shows us some more insight into what's currently going on. That this is not just a short term, you know, uh, temporary correction. But this is much something much more fundamental that is going on, and that is that companies are really pulling back, not just in terms of their employment and what they pay their workers, but actually in terms of their economic activity. So the, I'd say the poster child this week of what you're talking about is Chrysler saying correct. for a whole month, That's we're exactly just not going to make any cars. That's exactly correct. Because one of the things they could have said is they could go to their workers and say, look, we're up against the financial wall. Can you guys all take a $1,000 or $2,000 cut next month? But they don't say that. They say we're going to close the operations completely. Now, effectively, that means that their workers are going to take a cut in pay. So in terms of the workers, it's the same thing. They, take, they, get, they get hurt in any way. But in terms right. of the economic activity of the country, the whole plant is shutting down. That means that they're cutting their production. That means, you know, for all intents and purposes, there'll be less cars for sale. I mean, Which so, means fewer brake systems being bought from correct. brake system companies correct. and of fewer course. steering wheels bought from steering wheel making companies. Of and, course. Um, I mean, this is, the yeah. Tr- yeah, this is, of course, the, that we've been, you know, we're very conscious about now is the linkages within the economy. But my point being is that this is not just a cost-saving measure. It is actually a, a reduction in economic activity. And the reason why this differentiation is important is because it really reflects what's going on in the economy, that this is not just a short-term thing that if you send people $500 for, you know, to help them spend some money that we're going to get out of this. This is much deeper than that. And, you know, we're, we're now seeing that. My question is, when people write in and, and they tell me these stories, a lot of them seem glad to have their pay cut right. as opposed to having been laid well, off. I, I, would, I'm not, I don't mean to correct you. I don't mean if they say glad. They would rather have. Rather, their, okay. Have yes, no the, one's glad. Right, exactly. Now, let's go, look, we, we can analyze that for a second, dissect that for a second. What you're probably hearing from may be more kind of small, medium-sized companies. They don't have the luxury of closing down for a week or a month or one day a week. If they do that, they're out of business because of the competition. So they have to stay at their level of output. And so the only trigger, the only tool that they have is to reduce the cost, is to reduce the wages. So, and, and, and to your point about, you know, people are saying, well, if we have to take something, we'll take a little small cut in pay right now. Um, you know, I think, you know, what we're seeing now, which is different than in the past, is people really um, appreciate, appreciate or understand what's going on. If 
fact, I would argue that they understand it much better than our policymakers. Um, it, it's not like in the past, let's say, 82, 83, where people were kind of angry by what was happening. I mean, I think people are unhappy and they're getting hurt very much, but I think they understand what's going on and they're willing to do what they need to do to get out of this situation. Um, and, I, I mean, that's, that's constructive and that helps. Uh, but, again, I think they want to see it shared that that pain to be shared by everyone laura can we do a little econ 101 here yes wait a minute all right so when rosen is saying he's worried about a big car company shutting down for a month what what he's saying is that's a sign that the economy itself is, is severely contracting if if the car company just said hey there's you know there's decent demand for our cars but we just want to lower costs a little so we're going to work a little more efficiently or buy cheaper paint or something like that that's just normal cost cutting it's reducing the amount of stuff we're making that that makes this a, a real contraction in how the in the output of the economy and he says that contraction has to stop before we can begin to see a recovery. Right. The economy can't grow when it's shrinking, when it's falling right. down. So um, Rosen says that these shutdowns reduce the chance for a recovery. They kind of kick it down the road another bit. And and that, you know, at, at that natural point when the recession would be growing, there aren't going to be cars for people to buy and other goods for people to buy because of this contraction. And that is grim. Right. But there's a way in which I found the conversation with Howard Rosen inspiring. And, you know, in, in this sea of grim news, we've been trying every day this week to find those silver linings that we can. And what we found is, he, all right, he's a working economist. He's going through the data. He's getting a picture for himself of what's going on out there in the world. And we talked about Sort of the difference between the head and the heart in all of this. Yeah, this idea so often comes up on the show where we say, you know, here's an economic theory, but it runs counter to common sense sometimes. And it certainly can run counter to, and I guess you might call it fellow feeling or compassion. Now, Howard Rosen, when we reached him today, he was on a mission. He was looking at unemployment numbers and he was seeing these amazing things that, that really surprised him about real people. Adam, I think we should just roll this tape. I know it has a lot of numbers and numbers can be difficult, but I think people need to hear this. And one thing you should note is unemployment in the U.S. right now is at 6.7%. What initially took me to this, to look at these numbers this morning, is that currently we have 10.3 million unemployed people. And I wanted to go back and see what does that look like historically and it is the largest number, number, not the unemployment rate, but it's the largest number of unemployed since the 1982-83 recession. And, and from what we understand, we're only like halfway through this recession. Do you, and, ex- do you expect more job loss coming in January? Yes. I mean, what I'm, I mean yes. I mean, we're, what I'm suggesting is if we're only halfway through and we've got 10 million unemployed, it could easily go to 11 maybe even 12 million unemployed, and 12 million was the largest number we've ever had unemployed in 1982. So, so we're currently at the highest level of unemployed people since the 82-83 recession, which, again, if you remember back to that period, that was a drastic recession. The but next, don't we care about the percentage? We don't, do no. we care about Well, absolute? you see, we don't because, I mean, sometimes we do, <laughs> but in this case I don't because the percentage is only a reflection of the size of our labor force. 
But what I want to know is how many individuals are suffering right now. You know, when we have to pay unemployment insurance, when, like you're talking about people taking cuts in their wages, I don't really care about what the percentage is. I care about how many of them are being affected. And right now we've got 10 million people unemployed. I mean, that's a, like I'm saying, it's a significant number, the largest it's been since 1982-83. To say, oh, it's only 6.7% of our employees, don't worry about it. Well, thank you very much. So I'll tell that to the 10 million people who are unemployed. So the, ne- the next thing I did, so that was the first thing I looked at. The next thing I did is I looked at the, the, the um, Bureau of Labor Statistics has something called part-time workers for economic reason. Okay? So that means the economy's not good, they can't find a full-time job, so they take a part-time job. Currently, They'd rather have a full-time job, correct. but they couldn't find one. Correct. Currently, there are 7 million people in the United States who are, claim that they are part-time based because of economic reasons. That means that you've got 10 million unemployed and another 7 million who are underemployed. So this number that we keep hearing, the 6.7, really doesn't reflect what's going on. And, by the way, the 7.3 million that I'm just telling you about, part-time for economic reasons, is the largest since they've been collecting data. The largest since they've been collecting data. And the last number that I looked at was what they call marginally attached and dis, excuse me, discouraged workers, people that have looked for jobs and have just dropped out of the workforce. And that's another 2 million. So the, the reason I'm doing this is I want to get a fuller picture than just the unemployment rate that we've been hearing about. And this suggests that there are some 20 million people in this economy who are being adversely affected by the recession. And, you know, this tells us, you know, gives us... Wait a second, Howard. I don't know if you've gotten enough, though, because how many people have had their wages cut or their hours Uh, cut? Adam, you are 100% correct. So one last point, um, as bad as the numbers are for everyone, uh, Rosen says that unemployment is a lot worse if you happen to be a minority or if you didn't graduate high school. He, he says that this is a recession. He calls it a discriminatory recession. It's, it's impacting some groups far worse than others. And we'd like to thank Howard Rosen for helping us all play economist, however grim the picture is. And let's go ahead and wrap the podcast, too. Keep those comments and letters and photos coming. You guys are the canaries in this. You help us track what's happening out there. And we put it on our blog at npr.org slash money. I'm Laura Conaway. And I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening. Oh,